conflict with Russia is still the theme of the year. But is it all based on one big fat lie? The answer might surprise you. The Monica Perez Show starts now. This is Monica Perez, your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB every Saturday from 3 to 6. Bringing you my libertarian take on the news, the biggest stories of the week. The big story this week, Trump is in Europe at the G20 summit where all the world leaders, biggest world leaders get together and talk about free trade and and making things uh, more open when really, obviously, they're just there plotting how to control things. So I'm not a big fan of those big international organizations. But but what I wanted to focus on is that Trump made a speech in Poland on Thursday that was uh, everybody from Joe Scarborough, his current, I'm going to say, uh, foe enemy. He's got this this uh, feud going with Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski that to me is absolutely all for the press. I feel like it's Trump's wedding present to the happy couple because they were old friends all along and uh, I just don't buy it. But, but Scarborough and saying, Oh, it was a terrible speech, terrible speech. Then he starts to read all the things he liked about the speech and Charles Krauthammer of Fox. He, uh, he just loved the speech. He called it Reagan-esque. I mean, he just was all over this speech. But for me, uh, the speech was a little was was quite telling, not in the sweeping, overarching, setting foreign policy kind of way, but in in very specific things that I think uh, hint at what's really going on behind the scenes. And what we've, what we hear just constantly is this. I, I just think it's ridiculous. This whole story about Russia hacking the elections and here that they were responsible for Trump winning the election and all that stuff. If that seems to me just this big, uh, another like PR thing to keep news going, to keep, uh, to keep everybody on the edge of their seat about something that really doesn't matter. But whether you're a Democrat or Republican, you know, and this, these very uppermost echelons, they are playing into this idea that Russia is our enemy and that there's hostility there. And it, and it really smacks of falsehood for me anyway, like the even just covering how Trump and Putin had their first face to face meeting. The foreign minister of Russia, Sergei Lavrov, said yeah, uh, Putin told Trump that we that Russia did not meddle in the election, and Trump accepted that. But Tillerson, our Secretary of State, said, oh, he pressed him on it several times. He made it very clear that uh, this is causing a lot of trouble for us. He made reference to the sanctions and all this kind of stuff, making it out to be a big deal. And it's it's, like, really sad for me that I actually think that Lavrov has more credibility than Tillerson at this point, mainly because I think that the Russian audience, which is who those people speak to, really, have had such a long history of propaganda that they don't that their standards are a little higher, whereas we're so innocent that we're just like, well, Secretary of State would never lie. But I think that this a lot of this is just kind of 
uh, a, a you know a show. A lot of it's a show. So, but a, but underneath it all, if you think about where all this where all this argument that Russia is imperialistic and expansive and Putin is this uh, egomaniac who just wants to control the uh, the world or Eurasia or whatever. It all traces back to uh, Ukraine and Crimea. So the, the evidence people put out there is uh, I actually was in the Wall Street Journal today. I mean, you read it every single day. I, I, I will read some reference to this if I'm reading about Russia. He talks about how. This Wall Street Journal, this is from the editor, so it's it doesn't have a byline. It's from the actual editorial staff. And it says uh, that uh, to have a meeting like this, like the one with Trump, uh, for Putin, it has just one purpose, to discover, this is a quote, to discover if he will be able to press Russian interests forward without significant pushback from the U.S. president. Mr. Putin concluded that Barack Obama would pose minimal resistance. And so he seized Crimea, invaded eastern Ukraine, and adopted Syria's Bashar Assad. He's still in all three places. So note this guy said that Putin, this is his prime evidence that Putin's a bad guy, is that he seized Crimea and, uh, and then entered eastern Ukraine. And Trump played right into that meme in his speech. Now, I can prove that that is not true. I can prove that the Ukraine was destabilized by the U.S. on purpose, that we let a coup to overthrow the the democratically elected president of Ukraine, and that it was all about uh, who gets to supply Europe with gas. So that's what I think is really the underlying thing. But Trump doesn't, Trump plays into the basic fundamental Russia is our enemy meme. And uh, and that to me is a tell that he is actually just a uh, just as much a servant or a puppet or a, a witting or unwitting uh, of the military industrial complex that's out there to uh, affect geopolitics for their own interests, whether it's energy or defense or finance. Those are the big three. I think that's what this is all about. And I think that I think that. All of those things were revealed in Trump's speech. So I'm going to play a few clips from Trump's speech. Uh, let's start with this. This one addresses Ukraine. Let's start with clip 10. DeMarco, if you could play clip 10. We urge Russia to cease its destabilizing activities in Ukraine and elsewhere and its support for hostile regimes, including Syria and Iran and to instead join the community of responsible nations in our fight against common enemies and in defense of civilization itself. To me, that's, uh, it's just absolutely false. We were the one who destabilized this country, and it wasn't for these grand ideas of civilization and uh, the pursuit of uh, freedom. It was 100% for the money powers. Now, I don't know if Trump knows that, but for me, I would never fall for it because I... So he's over there making deals for liquefied natural gas, for selling uh, defensive weapons to Poland, 
you know, he's playing into these things. And of course, those things lead to debt, which, you know, the big three of the military industrial complex that I think finance, energy and defense, uh, they all get the benefit from this, from what he's doing. So I don't know if he knows for sure. But for me, I wouldn't would never fall for that kind of thing because I have respect for the sovereignty of other countries, for them to make deals with each other, even Crimea. People don't realize this. I think it was something like, have the stat somewhere, 85% of the adults in Crimea voted to secede from the Ukraine after we destabilized it. Uh, 85% voted and 95% of the vote came out in favor of joining Russia. So he didn't annex it. It, He didn't seize it. But even if he did... uh, I, I still don't feel like we need to police the world. So let's start the conversation. I have a lot of clips. I'm gonna, I just delivered a lot of um, big picture stuff, and I'm going to back it all up as the show progresses. But what do you think? 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK, or you can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. My producer, Binkley, is here. Binkley, uh, how are you doing, Binkley? Just happy not to be sitting in traffic. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Like, that just persists. Yesterday in Buckhead, that crazy, they closed uh, Cobb Parkway for, we should talk about some of those local stories maybe at the bottom <laughs> of the hour. But uh, what do you, do you have any tweets on uh, on the big picture stuff? I do. I got one from Gary. He says, whether Russia destabilized Ukraine or not, we shouldn't do anything. They didn't attack us. Why should we care what flag flies over Crimea? He has a point. Now, one uh, one might argue with that, and uh, and I think people do. I do. I want to play. I hope we have time. Let's play. Uh, there's another clip. It's Charles Krauthammer on Fox News, and tell. Listen to this clip, and tell me. Get ready to call me. Tell me. Uh, if you agree with what Krauthammer is saying, can I have DeMarco uh, clip 13? This is a return to traditional American universalism, leading the community of nations, meaning NATO, the West, Europe, including, of course, a lot of East Asia, other places as well. And by taking on the mantle of leadership, basically expanding the meaning of Americanism to go beyond our shores. I think it was a huge step and extremely significant. So that's Crowdhammer on Fox saying that it's traditional Americanism to do that. Whereas any if you're familiar with George Washington's farewell address and, and all of our founders would say absolutely do not do that. You should not that that's the he said that was the beauty of our country that we're bordered by these oceans. And it's my contention, and I plan to prove it to you, that we are the ones who are out there looking for trouble and that what it creates is a blowback situation that's no good. And uh, and I do think that a lot of people agree with me, and certainly if they dig in a little bit. So I'm going to help you do that, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. And we'll read more of your tweets after the break at Monica Perez Show. Monica Perez. On News 95.5 and AM 750, WSB. We are back. 
He, uh, it's 86 outside the studio, a 7 on the Mellish meter. The weekend's weather is brought to you by Shoemate, Heating and Air. Uh, and we're talking about, it's funny because uh, we're talking about Russia, the underlying premise of why Russia is someone to be afraid of. And for me, it's... It, it all goes back to Ukraine, Crimea. But if you, unless you've been listening to my show since, uh, for several years, in 2014, I did numerous shows with lots of smoking guns about how we were responsible for destabilizing Ukraine. I went through the timeline, had hidden audio. Uh, even if you've heard it before, I think you're going to be interested in a little refresher because it seems like the left and the right have both forgotten that we started it. So I'm going to start that, uh, kind of unfolding that. First, I want to take some calls, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. You can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. Go to Michael in Ackworth. Hi, Michael. You're on with Monica. Hey, Monica. I love listening to your show and the voice of reason that you bring. Um, I just wanted to chime in. I just do not buy into this narrative that Russia or Putin is our enemy. I mean, maybe maybe not an ally, but maybe an adversary. But I've listened to him speak many times, uh, and even as recently about this whole uh, Russia hacking election and such. And he was making a statement. He said, first of all, we didn't do it, but even if we did, do you think we'd be stupid enough to put our signature on it? So, right. I just, yeah. So I just think that. It's, you know, they're just throwing out this narrative that this is this big, bad man and country and they're, you know, we're, we should be at odds with each other. And I just don't get that feeling from Putin. He's just a, I think he's a brilliant man. I think he does a wonderful job. We maybe have different ideologies, but uh, I just don't think all the fear mongering that they're putting out there is justified. I, I agree. I think there's, uh, I go back and forth on who, uh, who what uh, what Putin's really about I, I I his start Yeltsin if I'm not mistaken Yeltsin put him in place and I think Yeltsin was kind of a puppet of the West Boris Yeltsin uh, so I don't know if Putin was really like uh, you know our next level of inserting somebody in there I don't really feel like that I wonder sometimes if the people in the West if the if the leaders of the West are all like from China to Russia to Germany to UK to US all kind of vying for their place at the big table but they all agree there should be a big table so that if these kind of tensions these kind of problems foster their goal of say we need a a a binding world government because things are getting out of control like the world war world war 1 led to the league of nations world war 2 led to the UN Perhaps World War III or just the threat of World War III will lead to what the Pope has called and called for, the true world authority. True world authority. So I don't know if Putin is fighting against that or just fighting for his place at the table in that. Do you do you have an opinion on that? Yeah, I mean, I think any great nation, um, and, and Putin does periodically flex his muscle a little bit, I mean, but it's not like we don't. So, um, yeah, I, I just, again, I just I feel like that they're just trying to make it sound like that he's this, you know, 
next to a warmongering ready to strike and pound for a given moment. I, I just really, I just cannot buy into that narrative. I, yeah, I, I agree with that, Michael. I do. And I wonder, I, I do wonder sometimes if, uh, if you look back at the history of like World War One. Yeah, like that that time period when Germany was rising. So Germany was rising as what they call a regional hegemon against Britain, the British Empire. And and there was real tension there and the British did not like it. And the worst thing that could happen for the British Empire would have been for an alliance between Germany and Russia. Russia also had a lot of oil and gas resources. However, they viewed it at the time. They knew it was becoming very important. That's why they started being interested in the Middle East, which was also a big factor in World War One. So it's always been a fear of the of the West, if you want to call it the Anglicists, the Anglo-American establishment, to have a German-Russian alliance, to have Eastern Europe and Russia kind of join forces. And then they, if they could dominate that region, they would really have world power because the, as Zbigniew Brzezinski, Mika's dad and uh, Carter's national security advisor, as he said, that whoever controls the Eurasian continent controls the world. So it's a little difficult for, say, the British Empire, the English and American alliance, to be able to rule that. I mean, that's quite tricky. And and I think what if you look back at some of the history, the British wanted to make sure, kind of kneecap Germany, so Germany couldn't be the gateway for Russia into Europe. And it's the gateway of Russia into Europe uh, that are our two hotspots right now. So you have Ukraine and Syria, both of which, so that's where our hotspots with Russia are. And by coincidence, um, not not really coincidence, but by, as it were, as it happens to be, those are the paths of entry of Russian gas or their allies gas up into Europe. Gas is very important into Europe. Ukraine, there's pipeline through Ukraine into Europe from Russia. And uh, there, it was a, a pipeline on the table. I guess it's still on the table. That's supposed to go up from a gas field that is shared by Qatar and Iran um, under the sea there. They want to take a pipeline. One of them, or both of them, want to take a pipeline that goes up through Syria, through Turkey, into Europe. When Ukraine started, actually, I'm going to break down the timeline um, coming up. When Ukraine started to respond to Russia's competitive arguments, competitive offer, uh, Russia was giving Ukraine a better deal. Ukraine was starting to pivot to Russia. Similarly, when Syria turned down the Saudi Arabian Qatar pipeline in favor of the Iran Iraq pipeline, that's when things started getting really hot there. So Syria's always been in play, I think, in the geopolitics, but that's when it got really hot. And uh, and that's where we have these conflicts with, with Russia. It's not about Russia's... Um, I, I think that that narrative, that this is more about uh, competing for power in Europe, is is more uh, consistent with the facts that we can prove, and I'll, and I'll show you why I think that, about the origin of the destabilization of Ukraine plays into the narrative that it's about gas rather than it's this megalomania, as they call it, this highly egotistical, arrogant Putin who wants to reestablish the Russian Empire, the Soviet Empire. I don't think 
I never go for the emotional arguments anyway. I go for the who benefits arguments, the money and the power, the centers of power, the geopolitics, I think, is, is really ultimately about that. So I'm going to lay out the timeline uh, for you. Coming up, take your calls, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Uh, our numbers, you can tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. And uh, I always continue this conversation during the week. If you want to check out my Facebook, I write articles. You can get all my old podcasts and the things that we're talking about today. You can probably find all of them on uh, my website, MonicaPerezShow.com or PropagandaReportDaily.com. And now for something completely different. Monica Perez on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Voice on WSB every Saturday from 3 to 6. And we are talking about Trump's trip to Europe. His speech in Poland, I think, was very telling. He started out talking about Russia destabilizing Ukraine, which... I absolutely dispute, and I'm going to tell you why. Uh, and I think that uh, more that these the geopolitics we're experiencing versus Russia in Europe right now are is really about gas. And there was an interesting uh, little side comment that probably slipped by most people in Trump's speech. That I want to read, but first I want to see Binkley, my producers here. I want to know our. What are people tweeting to us about this topic? Well, we got another good one from Gary who tweeted that Krauthammer is one of many reasons why I banned Fox News a long time ago. I'm so sick of hearing people call for American imperialism. Yes, I had played a uh, clip earlier. I don't normally play clips of media people because I think that's kind of, you know, I, I really hate that the news is about the news now. And Krauthammer's not really that much of a person as a... <laughs> I know you think he looks like a... a tree um, bark. Yes. <laughs> like one of those trees that's like alive. Yes, and but scary. But I don't like to, to make fun of people the way they look. Sorry. That's I'll leave that to you, buddy. Um, but he... He's there, but he's to me is not a like the media tacticians, the people who are out there delivering the propaganda that normally the media is just so shallow. But what he does, he doesn't use the tactics. He the the other guy softened him up like he was on Tucker Carlson. That's who that's where the clip was from. Tucker Carlson, Tucker Carlson's father, I think, ran or was very significant player in this USIA, which Clapper uh, James Clapper, the big intel intelligence guy, is calling for the USIA on steroids, which was our way of uh, influencing foreign countries, their politics and stuff. This was Tucker Carlson's father's job. So, uh, so here is Krauthammer on that show this week saying to him, he's so so Carlson. Tucker Carlson kind of softens up your brain, and then you get a guy like this who's going to plant the mind vitamin. And the mind vitamin was we need to return to traditional American values of universalism and world leadership and policing the world, which is not a true – it's a false correlation because George Washington said we need to stop at the water's edge, you know, which is what um, one of Trump's campaign speeches said. And now they're saying – I actually heard Krauthammer at one point say – we're so much safer when we 
extend our politics past the past the water's edge, which is not true, in my opinion. But uh, and I think it's in evidence, actually. But I want to I want to get into the Ukraine stuff. But I just want to support my point that I'd made before the break about this really being about gas. And there was another tell in Trump's speech that I think if you dig in, you'll you'll find it. Uh, but I'm open to your comments. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. You can tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. DeMarco, do we have clip 11? President Duda and I have just come from an incredibly successful meeting with the leaders participating in the Three Seas Initiative. To the citizens of this great region, America is eager to expand our partnership with you. We welcome stronger ties of trade and commerce as you grow your economies. And we are committed to securing your access to alternate sources of energy so Poland and its neighbors are never again held hostage to a single supplier of energy. Now, for me... The thing that happened in Ukraine is that the democratically elected president took the better deal, which was to get continue to get gas through Russia and actually take loans from Russia to support what was a struggling economy at a better rate and more money than he was going to get elsewhere. So it was a highly competitive situation before we brought a geopolitical barrier in there and overthrew their government. But what what. Trump was talking about this three C's initiative. It's about uh, it's about working with all these central, I guess you would call European countries that are kind of defined by the seas. I think it's the Baltic Sea, uh, the Black Sea and um, or is it the Balkan? <laughs> I always get those two confused. And the Adriatic Sea. So it's a lot of these Warsaw Pact countries. These were the Soviet satellite countries that when George H.W. Bush uh, negotiated with Gorbachev to release East Germany, they said, okay, just don't expand NATO into the Warsaw Pact countries. And that's exactly what Clinton immediately did. So we were high, that was highly hostile. It was supposed to be a buffer zone. It wasn't. And now here we are. Uh, but the two big projects of this three seas initiative are to build a big north south highway through there to connect everything. But on the bookends, they want to put natural liquefied natural gas infrastructure ports and then build a pipeline so that these people can use gas from North America. Now, I'm a little rusty, but I used to be a an analyst at um, a big commercial bank in the petroleum metals and mining group. And I remember doing studies on liquefied natural gas, which is like very dangerous and you got to you have to ship it. It would be, and I remember when this thing arose with Ukraine, it would it would really, just on a purely economic basis, you would much rather have a natural, you know, it would be much cheaper to have a natural gas pipeline from a nearby gas field than it is to ship liquefied natural gas uh, across the ocean. You really have to have some regulatory barriers to entry, whatever. But once the infrastructure is built, then you are kind of committed to whichever one you chose. But you got to cut a good deal up front. And and I feel like what's happening here is that it really these deals are 
not about Western civilization and freedom of speech and women's rights, all the stuff that was jumbled up in the speech that Trump made, but that it's about uh, the uh, energy domination, about money, about power, about influence, about regional hegemony, like dominance. Hegemony is like the dominance of one country over its region. I think that's what it's all about. But let's get back to how it all started in Ukraine. And I know I gave an insane amount of clips to DeMarco. So let me see if I've got the one I want. I, the first clip I want to play um, is uh, we'll, we'll get – I think I might have to wait on that. Um, so the, the, the big picture story is that in December – 2013, uh, Victoria Nuland, who the, was the Assistant Secretary of State for, um, I guess, European Affairs. I don't know what it was, but she was over there, and she was talking to uh, Jeffrey Pyatt, who was the ambassador uh, of Ukraine. And they basically plotted a coup to overthrow the... Uh, legitimately democratically elected government of Ukraine. But first they tried to use kind of diplomatic means. So in December 2013, Victoria Nuland comes back. She goes to the National Press Club or something. She had, she says she just got off a plane from Ukraine and in the backdrop, if you look at this, I just posted the video on Twitter at Monica Press Show. In the backdrop, she write, she has uh, the Exxon logo, the uh, Chevron logo. It's so funny. And then she talks about how she uh, that the U.S. had just spent. $5 billion trying to influence Ukraine to pivot west instead of east. This was a, um, this is how it really works. This is how it really works. And, and, and there was even a deeper layer in that, uh, Pando reported, Pando is a website uh, that did some reporting on uh, an Intercept article. So if you know Glenn Greenwald, he is kind of Edward Snowden's mouthpiece. He was the interviewer who came out uh, with the, broke the Edward Snowden story. And then Pierre Omidyar, I think he was the PayPal billionaire, set these guys up with a website called Intercept. And he kind of you know, exposes the deep state. Well, it came out that these efforts made by the U.S. government to influence the government of Ukraine were hand-in-hand hand supported by the Pierre Omidyar, who also put money and effort into influencing the politics of Ukraine. So, uh, so I had originally, I had always said, I thought Snowden was a limited hangout, that he still works for the CIA, that uh, this whole thing was just to get you, us used to the idea 
of surveillance. And uh, I I felt that that was uh, for sure what was happening. And then when I see that Pierre Omidyar is actually a deep state operative cooperating with the United States to overthrow democratically elected governments abroad, I think I'm validated in thinking that this stuff is uh, a deep state operation through and through. But let's hear this Victoria Newland speech. And her husband, by the way, is Robert Kagan, who works for Brookings Institute institution and is constantly uh, trying to tell us what the just like charles krauthammer you know what this big picture is what our place in the world all this kind of stuff when really i think it's just about the money and the power that's represented by the logos that are standing behind uh on the wall behind newland but let's let's hear clip five so no clip five (laughs) That's totally fine. Okay. So anyway, uh, she she just goes through saying how they want uh, Europe to have a democratic future. And in the end, they end up overthrowing the, uh, the legitimate government. So... Maybe we'll skip that, and I will get to take a quick break, and then after that, get to the actual, when this didn't work, when their $5 billion did not work, they decide they've got to take this guy out. That is coming up. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. You can tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. Monica Perez on News 95.5 and AM 750, WSB. It is uh, going to be 88 as a high today, 70 low overnight. Weekend weather is brought to you by Shoemate Heating and Air. And uh, I am finally ready with this clip of Victoria Newland speaking to the National Press Club, sponsored by Exxon and Chevron. The date is very important on this. This this speech she is giving was December 13th, 2013. December 13th, 2013. She's telling a bunch of oil guys the day she gets back from a trip to Ukraine. Here's clip five. Since Ukraine's independence in 1991, the United States has supported Ukrainians as they build democratic skills and institutions, as they promote civic participation and good governance, all of which are preconditions for Ukraine to achieve its European aspirations. We've invested over $5 billion to assist Ukraine in these and other goals that will ensure a secure and prosperous and democratic Ukraine. Today, there are senior officials in the Ukrainian government in the business community, as well as in the opposition, civil society, and the religious community who believe in this democratic and European future for their country. And they've been working hard to move their country and their president in the right direction. We urge the government, we urge the president to listen to these voices, to listen to the Ukrainian people, to listen to the Euromaidan, and take Ukraine forward. The support of the people in this room is absolutely essential. We thank you for all you are doing. We thank you for your partnership all these years. And we look forward to continuing to stand shoulder to shoulder with you as we take Ukraine into the future that it deserves. So this is before there was any problem in Ukraine. 
that any like political crisis, there was a democratically elected government, and uh, and she's saying how the United States is spending money, working hand in hand with business leaders, churches, civil society. I hate that expression. Uh, and and that these people, <clears throat> she's got two logos behind her exxon and chevron so i don't know who else is in the room but the people in that room were working hand in hand with her and uh and i as i said before the break pierre omajar who i'm almost positive is the paypal billionaire he is supposed to be snowden's sponsor glenn greenwald's sponsor he paid for the intercept all this stuff that gives us all this deep state information he worked hand in hand with them he was one of the the private billionaires who participate in these things and i always suspect with these tech billionaires that some of them are uh if not all of them creations of the state that the tech really comes out of the department of defense of uh, MIT of government research and that they find the, the face or the, the operative who will, uh, get, you know, be, I, I think George Soros got to start like this too. Bill Gates. I mean, I think these people are, work hand in hand, uh, when, from when they're very young and they are helped to get really rich. And in return, the deal, it always is that they have to give back by fostering these political ends. And in this case, the political end was to make a, uh, a change in the direction Ukraine was going. Now the Ukrainian people who ran Ukraine have always been notoriously corrupt. And this guy, uh, who was overthrown Yanukovych took refuge in Russia and Putin said, this guy's totally corrupt. He didn't even follow my advice. I don't want him here, but I'm not sending him back there because they're going to charge him with murder, a murder he did not commit. So uh, I'm not saying these guys are good guys, but they most certainly are. But what he, what Yanukovych had been doing in negotiating with Russia against the EU was taking the better deal. So, uh, so that's where it stands. And then I want to continue to draw out the story. Binkley, let's do, let's, uh, hear a few tweets. First, let me throw out the number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. You could tweet at me at Monica Perez show. Uh, what are people tweeting? Daniel tweets that too bad there are only a rare few like you who are willing to tell the truth about the Russian narrative. Even the GOP goes along with it. Maddening. I know. I mean, that's something that that is a tell to me that they like what when Lavrov came out and said, yeah, Putin told Trump. We had nothing to do with that, and I'm sure Trump and Tillerson will support that. This is what Lavrov said, because there's never been a shred of evidence. So, of course, these guys are going to support me. And then Tillerson comes out and says, oh, Trump did some saber-rattling, and he told them enough is enough. But it was funny because Ginny, our tweet, <laughs> tweeted a while back that she was just waiting for uh, – for Trump or Tillerson or whatever to say something that basically stipulated, yes, Russia, there was Russian interference. And they are, even though I believe that was it the New York Times actually retracted the stuff about 17 intelligence agencies. Yeah. All, you know, so nobody ever talks about the retraction. They still they still talk about as if 
you know, that's that's why I wanted to go back to this thing about Crimea and Ukraine, because they they always refer to these things uh, as like touchstones. I think we've talked about it on Propaganda Report, the podcast we do on our um, Propaganda Report Daily dot com about how they'll just set up this symbol and then just use that as a touchstone for emotions, for a narrative. And no one ever goes back and questions the assumptions of whether that touchstone really says what we're being told it says. You know, and that's a, that's a Bernays thing, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. The touchstone here, I think, for people is Russia invaded a sovereign nation and just took it over. Right, but that isn't what happened at all. Right, because it was a democratically elected com- country that we actually went in and orchestrated a regime change coup, and just like we did in Egypt, the exact same thing. It was uh, you, you don't like the guy, but he was democratically elected. After they do the coup, then they charge the guy with murder so that they can do away <laughs> with them. I mean, that's what happened to Yanukovych too. So let's let's continue to draw that out. Um, Maybe put some meat on the bones. 404-872-0750. 1-800-WSB-TALK. You can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. This is Monica Perez, your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB every Saturday from 3 to 6, talking about the biggest stories of the week from my libertarian perspective. And as a libertarian, I don't I don't believe in interfering in other countries. And when you take my libertarian views to the extreme, I'm what they call an anarcho-capitalist. I actually think that society is self-ordering. And the modern state, which uses coercion as a coercive monopoly on the use of force, that uh, that we have an actual conflict of interest with them, that they use the, the, the state to take away our rights to self-defense in order to justify violence – that they use to impart privilege to cronies. <laughs> so in the extreme, I think the, the individual is sovereign. But uh, in the interim, as I try to kick the can down the road for, for my descendants, I try to do things like defend the Bill of Rights, recognize that we have no right to uh, violate the sovereignty of other nations. This idea of American exceptionalism People often think, they confuse it, they think it means the American experiment or what's extraordinary about the American experiment, this idea of the sovereign citizen. But actually, the way it is used and its origin is, um, and uh, Charles Krauthammer, who's a big proponent of American exceptionalism, was talking about it on Tucker Carlson this week. American exceptionalism is about... uh, America having an exception to the law of nations. It's about America not having to respect the sovereignty of others because we are the world leader. And that's a dangerous concept and a concept I disagree with. But we do it, and we do it not just by leading, by example, but we do it behind the scenes. We do it in ways that even we would recognize to be illegal. And that is how this whole problem with 
Ukraine started in the first place was that the president of Ukraine was acting in the interests of its country by cutting a deal with Russia better than the deal it was getting with the EU. And our operatives wanted to we that was unacceptable to us even beyond whether it was acceptable or not to the eu that's how much we control the situation and i've got uh some smoking guns to prove that i was talking about it before and i mentioned how i played a clip of how victoria newland the secretary of state or undersecretary of state for european and eurasian affairs uh, in december 2013 was speaking to an audience with a guy which was sponsored by Exxon and Chevron, and she was talking about how much money she and the U.S., $5 billion the U.S. spent on trying to influence the government of Ukraine. And uh, I had also read that uh, Pierre Omidyar, who was the sponsor of The Intercept, of Glenn Greenwald, of uh, Edward Snowden, supposed to be like this anti-deep state guy, was one of their partners in trying to... Uh, uh, change the regime or influence the regime of Ukraine. I did say that he was the founder of PayPal, and my husband texted me to say he was the founder of eBay. So I'm sorry about that. Thank you for the correction. I absolutely love being corrected. I don't like being wrong, but there's second best thing to being right is being corrected. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, so I want to... Um, I want to show you just how Machiavellian these people are with the clips that I have. And I want to get your response and get some tweets. 404-872-0750 1-800-WSB-TALK. You can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. Binkley, my producer, uh, here, do you have some tweets uh, that make sense in this conversation? Yes, ma'am, I do. I have one from Calvin. He says, I'm split on stopping our agenda at the water's edge. While we should be more home-focused, we always need to keep an eye out overseas because tyrant empires can overtake the world. That's interesting, and I understand that idea. I know uh, we often get the story, if we don't, China and Russia will. But I personally think two things. One is that uh, stable law, respect for private property, which I think by extension you could say is the origin of this national sovereignty thing. I'm not a collectivist. I don't think of government as owning any property. But let's just say uh, respect for boundaries. Um, I think that that our dominance in the 19th century was so complete or it was so clear that's where that our growth, um, the power of, of liberty was uh, palpable. You could taste it, touch it, uh, that when these plots started to hatch about kind of world government from Rockefeller to Rhodes to Rothschild, these guys saw uh, that you couldn't have world government with such a dominant country like the United States that you had to slow down the United States and build up these other countries that didn't have the benefit of capitalism. So what they did, uh, and you can find this in the literature, they, they attempted to kind of slow down the industrialization of the West and increase the industrialization and even the defense and stuff of the East. So you see 
There's Major Jordan's Diaries is one book that talks about getting giving uh, military secrets to the Russians. There's uh, some stuff that James Corbett did on China about Rockefeller getting tech and military stuff over to the Chinese. And um, Servando Gonzalez wrote a book about how Cuba was the testing ground for deindustrializing a nation, that, that this is a big plot. So my point is just if we were the shining city on the hill, if we led by example of like truly free trade of free flow of capital of this kind of goodwill that we were actually I had a caller once telling me who's African North African guy who said back in the day decades ago maybe around the time of JFK when it all started to really change they looked to America as being the kind of anti-colonial anti-communist freedom capitalist they look to it as an example as a as an opening for the world to be a better place a place of opportunity and we changed that like i think with the death of jfk we kind of decided to go control the world geopolitical we do not provide the example that would change that i do not think that this is driven by russia and china i do not think that there's a going to be a power void because we would always be so much richer and then by extension we spend half of the money in the world, the defense money in the world. So if so where is all the innovation coming from? It's coming from us. So if we don't I have long thought, if you're gonna respect, you know, a, a government, I am an anarcho capitalist on the thousand year plan, but in the meanwhile, if if we if I were a minarchist, a limited government person, I would say that the only true legitimate function of the federal government is national defense. So if somebody is going to contract with us to create these mega weapons, these weapons that keep everybody else at bay without our actually interfering in their politics, which we could do with half the defense budget of the world, it is by definition, if it's used even remotely efficiently, that concentration, you could be purely defensive without actually going out and messing with other countries. That those, that those defense contractors should never sell any uh, weapons to a foreign country. That imagine how the world would be. I think Russia's defense budget is like a tenth of ours. Imagine how safe the world would be if all of the technology we ever invented were purely in our hands and we never gave it to anybody, allies or anything. Now, but we don't. We go out there and our politicians peddle this stuff to other countries for the benefit of these private organizations. So that was one of the things that I noticed about Trump's speech in Poland this week. Uh, if we have, I would love to play clip 12. Clip 12 is about uh, uh, Trump last last week or a couple of weeks ago when he went to Saudi Arabia. The big news was that he cut all sorts of deals to sell them weapons. And now here's what he's happy about in uh, in Poland. Clip 12. Words are easy, but actions are what matters. And for its own protection, Europe, and you know this, everybody knows this, everybody has to know this, Europe must do more. Europe must demonstrate that it believes in its future by investing its money to secure that future. That is why we applaud Poland for its decision to move forward this week on acquiring from the United States the battle-tested Patriot air and missile defense system, the best anywhere in the world. That is also why we salute the Polish people 
for being one of the NATO countries that has actually achieved the benchmark for investment in our common defense. Thank you. Thank you, Poland. I must tell you, the example you set is truly magnificent, and we applaud Poland. Thank you. So you look at that. I mean, that's an ad for buying weapons, and we pressure them to buy weapons. Meanwhile, we are spending half the money on defense in the whole world. Like, I don't, I, I can't think of. It's antagonistic. It might actually foster a hot war, which the defense companies absolutely love, like a real war, shooting war. Or you can just create an arms race. They love that, too. That creates debt. I mean, this, to me, can be looked at from a totally different perspective than we need to uh, defend ourselves. You know, I feel like we might be this might be cronyistic. It might be belligerent. But still, uh, I appreciate that. I think that we can stop at the water's edge, especially with 50 percent of the defense dollars in the whole world. You know, we could build an iron dome and stop creating blowback by destabilizing other countries, by bombing them, by creating the refugees, by creating the terrorists, uh, that we would be safer that way for sure. The liberty would result in greater safety without us having to interfere. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. You can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. Monica Perez on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Partly cloudy with a chance of isolated storms tomorrow, high of 89. The weekend weather is brought to you by Shoemate Heating and Air. And we have been talking about uh, Russia. Here's the thing. There is so much conflict in this country. And honestly, the media is covering nonstop this idea that Russia is responsible for interfering in our election. It's it's just driving me crazy because I don't believe it. <laughs> They're not presenting any evidence. I think that this is all being used, whether it's real or not, whether you believe it or not, no matter which side of the aisle you're on. Uh, I think left and the right is playing into this idea that Russia interfered. And now Trump actually has an election commission. I had been forecasting this all along the three big things that are going to come out of this russia psyop psychological operation is that federal oversight or guidance or direction or whatever on elections which will make them hackable censorship of news there will be news that's approved and news that is not approved whether formally or informally censorship is coming and also this idea of more of a interfering in the politics of other countries it's this it's counter propaganda and it's and it's directed at our own populations as well those are the three things that are going to come out of the russia thing the way and and in a bigger picture sense the two kind of pillars of uh, or the two big levers that this is generating one is on the international scale it will promote the military-industrial complex either just by scaring countries or demanding the countries or scaring our own people into demanding more spending on defense, which mean, means, of course, more debt. Uh, and it will always be in the service of uh, using our government to soften up foreign countries for the benefit of oil and gas companies. That's just how it is. And I never... I. 
I used to really buy into this idea that the left was just totally anti-business and they accuse, uh, you know, they just hate corporations and that's why they're always down on oil and gas. They, they do act like that. I mean, they don't make the real argument, which is our government should not be in the service of corporations. Let the corporations do whatever they want. If transnational corporations are, uh, are, are the organic, economic, efficient answer and they emerge, like that, that's fine. But if they need uh, the subsidies of our foreign policy, of our bombs and stuff, to force other countries to cooperate, like Ukraine. Ukraine cut a deal with Russia. And then we overthrew the <laughs> the government of Ukraine, I'm telling you. Uh, so that's the part that uh, – so that the military-industrial complex, the outward-looking thing is one thing. But the inward thing is uh, the civil unrest at home because – that civil unrest, that conflict creates an, a a buy-in by the people for government. So if you can get people rioting, if you can get people killing cops, you know, or I, I'm not, I, I don't even want to like those words out of my mouth. Hopefully it's not even really happening. But if you can get people scared enough, you will uh, have a – uh, more buy-in for the federal government or the local, whatever, just bigger government. So let's see how the Russian meme, this this Russian idea. So I'm talking about Ukraine because the foundation of everybody's argument rests on Russia invaded Ukraine and annexed Crimea. That's like the touchstone for everyone. How do you prove that this is really Russia's fault? How do you prove that they're aggressive and expansionist? You prove it by... Um, because this is what what Putin did, and I'm gonna at the bottom of the hour I'll start uh, I'll play more of the clips that debunk that. But let's see how it's being used by the rabble rousers here. This is Keith Olbermann. Um, I want to play. Uh, well, it's the Olbermann clip. Let's hear it, Demarco. Thank you. I have sat at this desk for 130 commentaries and begged that this be understood for what it is. Our willingness to abide the control of this country by Donald Trump and the mercenary gang with which he has surrounded himself was and is and will be in reality our willingness to abide the control of this country by another country. We are at this moment in a position akin to where our founding fathers were, literally under the control of the leaders of a foreign power who have placed at the head of the legal and military forces of this continent a man who is beholden not to us but to them. They, the Russians, may be ruling us, their satellite, the province, formerly known as the United States of America, by active means we know little of. So this is Olbermann's way of justifying a bloody revolution against the democratically elected president of this country because he's saying it wasn't. I, I have no faith in the integrity of the elections. However, uh, this idea that Russia controlled the election, I also have no faith in. But for him to liken that, that we are being occupied by Russia the way we were a British colony like there. It was on the books that way. It's just crazy. But this is what he's doing to appeal to the emotions of people, to get them to riot, to get them to um, to not respect uh, the 
election results so that they can overthrow the government, you know, or try to and feel like they have uh, moral ground. Now, there would be moral ground for overthrowing the government, but that's not it. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Uh, you can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. Maybe it's something really cool that I don't even know about. Monica Perez on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. I am the Libertarian Voice on WSB, Saturdays from 3 to 6, trying to give you the Libertarian perspective on News of the Week. Sometimes I just end up down the rabbit hole because when you're not blinded by the left-right paradigm, sometimes you realize the official narrative does not make sense. And the official narrative that... Russia is on this expansionist jag trying to restack the USSR. I, I don't – Putin is not my hero. I think that people do uh, – they always want to have you know, either a hero or a villain. I, I saw Pat Buchanan wrote an article. My mom talks like this. People are like, you know, that Putin is a statesman. I respect him. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. He, he definitely plays into some – ISIS narratives and things like that, which I think are false for his own purposes. I don't know what they are. I don't understand it. But I know that that our powers that be are using this idea that Russia is an aggressor uh, to get us to do things we would not otherwise do. It's uh, the Rahm Emanuel doctrine. And two of the things it's doing is creating all this unrest at home. It's That's what people are using to... Uh, get the left mad at Trump. Now, uh, my response would be what we want is to restore the Bill of Rights, the 10th Amendment that brings the power back to the states. Uh, Don't use fear tactics to take away due process, um, the Fourth Amendment right to, you know, a specific warrant for search, the free speech, free association, all the things that are in the Bill of Rights that we don't hear the left or the right in any significant way talking about. So if you want to rebel against this government, I'm all for it. But do it to, uh, rest- at the very least, to restore the freedoms guaranteed us by the Bill of Rights and the limited powers of the Constitution, restore Congress's place to declare war. Do do it for those reasons or go or get even more than that. I actually thought the Articles of Confederation were better because they didn't allow the federal government to tax and to tax is to kill. You know, <laughs> that's what tax is to destroy. So for me, there are plenty of reasons that you can get annoyed at this government, the Obama government, the Trump government, but it's not Russia. And and the meme that everyone goes back to is that Russia annexed Crimea. You, I have, I could find probably a citation every single day that says that. Uh, but I guess I said something controversial before the break because Tim in Stone Mountain wants to argue with me, which is good. I, I want the opportunity to be clear. Four zero four eight seven two zero seven fifty. 1-800-WSB-TALK, or you can tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. Hey, Tim, you're on with Monica. Hey, Monica, how you doing? Good, how are you doing? Uh, I'm okay. One of the things you just said that kind of took me for a loop, that you said you would be okay with businesses being allowed to do whatever they wanted, uh, as opposed to the government having some authority to, I guess, to regulate them or to, to have some say about how businesses operate. And I would argue that that would be even worse than having a, a a overbloated centralized government because businesses don't operate in anybody's interest, especially not as, not as us as individuals. There's no business that gives a damn about the individual. 
I totally agree. And it, here's the here's a I'm, I'm going to mute you because it's a little noisy, but I'm not hanging up on you. Just hang on, and we'll go back and forth. Um, I I made up a little uh, like mantra, adage, whatever that greed drives productivity and competition. Uh, counters or contains or whatever beats back greed, controls greed in that when you, if you have enough competition in the free market, no company can really get that big and be that powerful. And then if you go back in time to when this whole regulatory state came about, you can look at what were called the robber barons, which I never liked that expression, except for what they did was they captured government. So they would commit fraud against people. They would bully them into giving up their businesses to create these monopolies, and they would capture government that gave them the, the protection. Or they would put in regulatory barriers to entry. If you don't have this much property or this kind of accounting department or whatever, you can't compete in this industry. Even licenses are like that. So so I I do not believe in the government regulating industry because I think it's always the industry that captures the government and that subverts um, the basic law. That subverts the... Um, the uh, what's called the race to the bottom, where you end up with like zero uh, profit on the marginal level because there's so much competition in any given industry. Okay, Tim, you're back okay. on. Uh, the the problem with that is in today's world, an industry, and and we'll just use like a Walmart for example, and just use them as an example. At any point. Walmart could completely buy it. They could completely dominate any any retail segment they choose to dominate without any government interference, simply by undercutting everybody else. So the premise of competition goes away. I never liked that. Yeah, I never liked that. Starbucks would come in and set up shop next to your mom and pop coffee shop. That does that does bum me out, and it always has. I I think you have to. What I did, did to kind of think through this is, first of all, Walmart makes things so cheap for people and they give a lot of jobs and I, I would, and they, what they really do is they beat up other big companies to reduce prices for, so they can dominate at the retail level. So there are a lot of benefits to it, but you also have to think, at a certain point, there are always substitutes. If they're too abusive, you're just going to make your own coffee at home, like the Starbucks thing. I don't like losing the mom and pop shops. But one of the things that promotes these bigger corporations over little ones is these massive regulations so that if you have to start putting down the calories of the food on your menu, a mom and pop shop simply can't do it. They simply, the cost would drive them out of business. So I think that, uh, that you would see a lot of that go away. Maybe not Walmart, but, but Walmart, I think, created a, uh, a whole industry in these like markets that were underserved. So I think in, in reality, you would actually have a better scenario than, cause we still have this. We still have Walmart and Starbucks dominating. We- Entire I, niches, do we not? I see it. I see it in communities now. Well, you'll see a Walmart go in, and over a period of two to three years, every other small business in in, in that general community is gone. I've always every hated that the community. hardware and, stores and, and, and all that's left is Walmart. And there's and the people that live in the community, the only place they have to work is Walmart. So the wages are depressed. 
the hours are limited because Walmart controls. They're, they're strict about controlling their their. their but the prices it. are so low to okay, those but, people. But there, and, and if the prices are that low and the wages are that low, then there's no avenue for upward growth because everything there's a cap on everything. When you if you sell something at a dollar and you pay somebody ninety five cents, then all they have is that's all they have. There's no means to get out of that, and Walmart has created, has put a dome over those communities where there's no, there's no outward outlet. There's, there's no place where you can go and work a little bit harder and make a little bit more and and and, and do something a little bit different because I, they yeah. have they, they have a cap on it, they have a dome on it that prevents that from happening. Yes, I ha- I think sorry, I think you have to think a little more broadly than that in that you. Uh, if if somebody wants to give you free stuff, you know, basically take the free stuff and get a different job. I mean, that's what I feel about when they want to restrict trade. If China dumps steel, they give us steel for lower prices than we can do it ourselves. What if they wanted to give us all the steel we wanted free? Wouldn't we take our resources, our effort, and do other things and just absorb all that steel until they stopped giving it to us? I feel like there's... Um, that there are substitutes. You always have to think of the alternatives and maybe make that bubble a little bigger. But if Walmart, but if Walmart has has the, the capacity or whomever has the capacity to dominate whatever industry they choose, then where else can you go? You can't go small business to drive this country. And if you eliminate the the ability for a small business to be in play, just if you economically squeeze them out then there is no small business. But I don't think it's economic squeezing. I think it's policy squeezing. I think that you can't – McDonald's doesn't have a lot of competition because you're not allowed to just put a burger stand on the corner anymore. You have to go through a lot of hoops, licensing and health and safety. And I understand that people want the health and safety. Many people want those kind of regulations. I myself – believe that in a uh, that it's wealth that brings health and safety and that you have you can have a million regulations in a poor country and people still get cholera you know they still get that we don't get that stuff because our standards are high and if somebody had that you could even have uh, you know a private there are private companies that give thumbs up to things like if you took out also the tax code is really make small businesses suffer and they have a harder time competing because all the tax codes in place and the small businesses have to adhere to those. But the big businesses get to literally cut deals. They cut deals sometimes and then they hire the guy who wrote the law. So I, I, I feel like the truly unbridled capitalism ends up with actually the best distribution of wealth. But I understand your arguments, and I love them, Tim. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to go on to Gertrude and Bremen. Hey, uh, Gertrude, how are you doing? It's, doing you're on great. with Monica. How are you? I appreciate Good. your show so much, Monica. Thank you. Um, you're welcome. You haven't played the part of President Trump's speech to the Polish people where he gives the history of the conflict um, with them and with Russia, and he he speaks about how the Polish people showed such great insight. They could have asked for anything, but they asked for God. The Russians had come in and had taken over their churches and had tried to remove the worship of God. The Russians, for the most part, are atheists, 
So I'd like your comments. Well, I wouldn't say the Russians were. I would say the Soviets were atheists because the Russians had that strong Russian Orthodox Church. Uh, I think that that was kind of hearkening to the Pope John, or now St. John Paul II. But didn't you think it was weird? Do you feel like Trump is uh, religious? That struck me as kind of weird. I think he is. I absolutely think that he is. And he's he has uh, professed that he's not a perfect man, and but he, uh, you know, he he has he met uh, with so many of the leaders, the uh, spiritual leaders across the nation. He said he was quite humbled because they accepted him. I mean, he is he is a man full of uh, you know misdeeds. We all. It's are. a little tricky with the three wives, but I, I but yeah, I mean, I, I would never presume to know somebody's heart or whatever. But he just never struck me as particularly religious. But I agree that. That was the salvation. I have a little bit of an echo, but um, that was the salvation. Uh, I have a book called The President, the Prime Minister, and the Pope about Margaret Thatcher, Ronald Reagan, John Paul II, and it folds in Lech Walesa and the beginning of the domino effect that really brought an end to the Soviet Union, which we should all uh, celebrate and rejoice. And I mean, I just, I cried when the Pope was shot. I, or was it Reagan? They were both shot like back to back. I love them both. I think I shed a tear for Reagan because he was so handsome. <laughs> I loved him. So, um, but yes, that was a triumphant time. And I think that a lot of this is trying to get us to hearken back to that. But I, I'm more cynical in this in, uh, this go-round uh, than I was then. But uh, anyway, thanks for the call, Gertrude. Uh, Tim, hang on. Your next 404 872 uh, 1-800-WSB-TALK. You can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. Monica Perez on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. 86 degrees outside the studio. Skies are mostly sunny. Weekend weather is brought to you by Shoemate Heating and Air. And we just had a really robust discussion about... Uh, uh, I was... Caught saying something that I guess I was a little too casual, that I wouldn't care if corporations did whatever they wanted. I actually don't care if they do whatever they want as long as they don't capture the government. Because once they do that, then they, if they do whatever they want in a free society, they will get beaten back by competition that does what the customer wants instead. And, uh, and of course, basic law. Don't touch me or my stuff, which prevents theft and fraud and things that um, corporations can do as well as individuals or mobs. That is, uh, you can't have that. But other than that, I don't believe in preemptive regulation even. But it was such an interesting conversation. And I think Tim in Woodstock is here to to kind of bring it to the next level. Hi, Tim. You're on with Monica. Hi, Monica. Um, Yeah, the the Walmart hating um, argument is is not based on the current situation the way it actually is because Walmart has dominated the market in a giant government overregulated scenario. That's, yeah, that's can I say, Tim, about. just for people who missed what we were talking about before the break, I had a caller who said uh, in, in the real world you're going to have Walmart come in and take out all other small businesses uh, I added the example that I knew it was Starbucks business plan to go into towns and set up shop right next to the mom and pop coffee shop and drove them out of business. I remember Pergament used to set up near 
the local hardware store. And, uh, and, and I had a lot of arguments. If you want to go back and listen to the podcast, I'll post it in a few days on propagandareportdaily.com. But just so people know where we pick up, uh, and then the Walmart thing, I said that lowers prices. It gives people jobs. You have to think outside that big box if you want alternatives and substitutes, but it's not like they rule the world. But, uh, so if you could pick it up from there, Tim, I appreciate what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, when you say small business, uh, you mean small retail business, small service business, uh, small construction business, like Ford, um, let's say Ford and Facebook and, and Walmart. Are, they're all big businesses, but they're in completely different aspects of this big business. If you want to compete with any one of those guys, you've got to go through such a massive amount of regulations that are, are bound by, by politics and bound by government that it's almost impossible to break into those markets at that level. So small business across the board it can't compete with the bought and paid for government regulations that have been put in place over the past 100 years to keep little people from making their way into it. Um, yeah. Where where Walmart has has killed it is it is taking advantage of the regulations the way they're set up. So we're not even we're not in a free market economy. Um, we don't operate in a, a, a fair and balanced um, economy and. and it's not set up to where it's fair. The people that are right. paying off the government are the ones that are getting the advantages, and it's everywhere. Uh, yeah, they pay I, off the EPA. I read a they book. The FDA. They pay off the energy department. It, it's it's everywhere. So, yeah, like the corporations are the clients of the regulators, and sometimes even call them that. Like I think at the FDA, if I recall correctly, there was a time, maybe it's still true, where they called the drug companies the client, which is absolutely not true. But I want to recommend, Tim, don't don't go away. I want to recommend a very short book. Um, I actually have a review of it on uh, my website, monicaperezshow.com called Our Enemy the State by Albert J. Nock. It's a tiny little book. You could probably get a PDF um, free if you just Google for it. And it talks about how the government, not not government like a voluntary association of people for mutual defense, but the modern state is there for the opposite of that. It's to disarm you, to get you to come together and obey those rules, and then it takes that power and it uses it to bestow privilege. So it gets its cronies rich, they kick it back, um, and that's how it actually works. I think um, Tim dropped there, a little line problem. But so... So what you end up having is because of one of the things Tim was going to say, he told the screener, was that uh, Amazon is now competing with Walmart. So what I was trying to say earlier is when you look at these problems, you have to expand the scope of how you view the problem. There are always substitutes. So if the U.S. government did not, soften up other countries and make it easier to access their oil and gas for our oil and gas companies. You know, it's U.S. taxpayer subsidies that softens up other countries with bombs. And uh, and then our oil and gas companies go in there and they act like they're making free decisions, but they're they're benefiting from that. 
But we we build roads, and that also benefits them. If you didn't do that, if you didn't subsidize oil, subsidize auto with with taxpayer-paid roads, we probably would have converted to a telecommuting society uh, a long time ago or, or gone closer to that. There's always a substitute. You could even substitute uh, commerce, consumption, production with leisure. You could say, okay, instead of buying that new car, I'll just work less and spend more time with my family. And that's how I will use my um, my human resources. So for me, if you expand the bubble of how you're thinking, and now Amazon, it's a whole new medium that will butt up against Walmart. And it had an advantage in that you didn't used to have to pay taxes on Amazon. Gave it a big leg up, gave it an opportunity. Who knows uh, if that was just a coincidence or what, but... You know, normally states will get all over taxes like that. Like nobody would have allowed it. My guess is there was behind the scenes political pressure across the board to foster Internet commerce. This gives Amazon a tremendous advantage over all the local. uh, I think the the sales tax should be eliminated completely. Taxation is theft. But if you're going to have it against the small local business and not against this interloper, it's going to give the interloper an unfair advantage based on policy. So you could probably always find the policy behind the mega companies. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. We'll get to some tweets after the break at Monica Perez Show. Please take my hand. Open your mind to me, please. Open your mind. Open your mind. This is Monica Perez, your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB every Saturday from 3 to 6, giving you my take on the biggest stories of the week. And this week, Trump was in Poland. He was in Europe. Uh, He made a big speech in Poland, referenced uh, Russia's destabilization of Ukraine. I just, I read earlier in the show a Wall Street Journal article from today, but I could probably pick any Wall Street Journal article from the past three years and have them say how uh, Russia invaded Crimea and that is proof of their aggression. The touchstone to justify anybody's fear of Russia on the left or the right isn't the Russian hacking. It goes before that. The Russian hacking, which I don't believe in, by the way. It goes back to this idea that Russia destabilized Ukraine and annexed Crimea, which is false. So we were have been talking about it throughout the show. And uh, and here, finally, I'm going to give you the smoking guns. I want to give you a little bit of timeline first so you understand where this is coming from. Uh, earlier in the show, I played a clip. If you missed any of this, go. you can check out the podcast on PropagandaReportDaily.com. Earlier in the show, uh, I played a clip from December 13th, 2013, of Assistant Secretary of State Victoria Nuland. She had just gotten off the plane from Ukraine. She was speaking to a room, uh, the National Press whatever club, And the two logos behind her, one was Exxon and one was Chevron. And she said, the U.S. government spent $5 billion, along with our partners like you, in trying to influence the president of Ukraine to do 
to go our way, to turn towards Europe. Well, on December 18th, so right after that, Yanukovych, the democratically elected president of Ukraine, announced that he was going with Russia. Russia gave him a better deal. He gave him bonds. He gave him what he needed uh, for his country, which was in dire straits because Yanukovych was not a good president. And they do not have uh, they have a lot of corruption there. I'm not defending them. But he made the right choice for Ukraine to turn towards Russia. And that triggered Newland. The EU was willing to take it slow. But Newland said, nah, she wanted to she wanted regime change. She wanted to get rid of that guy. She wanted to put her own guys in. And she started plotting that in this what is a leaked phone call from January 28th, 2014. So you had her. I think we're going to get this guy December 13th. Then he comes out and says, nope, I'm going with Russia. December 18th, January 28th. Here is a call. Now, who leaked it? Probably Russia, you know, but that but the proof is in the pudding. This is Victoria Nuland, the assistant secretary of state of the U.S., plotting with the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, Jeffrey Pyatt, on replacing the government of Ukraine, which was not under pressure at this time. So when you hear about the revolution, when you hear about the uprising, the Maidan, that was after this. So let's get into these clips. Let's start with clip one. I think Yats is the guy who's got the economic experience, the governing experience. He's he's the guy, you know, what he needs is Cleach and Tani Book on the outside. He needs to be talking to them four times a week. You know, I, I, I just think Cleach going in, he's going to be at that level working for Yatsenyuk. It's just not going to work. Okay. So she is talking about who she is going to install in front of the cameras and behind the scenes in uh, in Ukraine. Binkley, my producer, you cut these clips. What were you? Does this, was this news to you, or am I? Is this not even interesting to you as like a normal person? Is it interesting because of the way this Russia thing plays out in the U.S. right now? It's absolutely interesting to me because that's the whole reason people are wearing pink hats and marching <laughs> up and down the street. Right. And when I first heard this, she says it in such a matter of fact, this is yeah. just how we operate all the time manner. Yeah. It's so arrogant. And and here's the thing. Yats, her buddy Yats, was, despite this, installed right. as the prime minister for two years in Ukraine right after after the overthrow. Yats was the guy they put in. Klitsch is Klitschko. He's a world-famous boxer. I think he retired as heavyweight belt to um, go into politics in Ukraine. He then, right after this, shortly after, became the mayor of Kiev, which he still is. Tiny Book, who she's talking about, that guy is a Nazi, like a, literally <laughs> a neo-Nazi. Yes, he was the head of the Socialist Nationalist Party in Ukraine. He is, when people talk about the Nazis in Ukraine, they're talking about this guy and his crowd, obviously. So he's behind the scenes. They're having four conversations a week with these guys because they control it. And and it actually happened. That's what's so interesting to me. Yeah. But there's, yeah, God. Uh, that's They're just so casually talking about how they're going to dictate what happens in this uh, it's crazy. country. And she is, she is married to Robert Kagan, who's a very influential think tank guy at Brookings Institution. And she um, she's very poised. She's a diplomat of the highest order, you know, like and I'm not saying that in a good way. Like, I don't think dipl- diplomats are there to make war. She's and this a good is liar. Proof. Yeah. But she is, you know, so 
uh, poised and dignified. So to hear her like super, super high class accents, you know, going for uh, just, just slapping people around. And I guess she outranks the ambassador to Ukraine because he's kissing her butt. But let's let's listen to the rest of some of the rest of the call. This is uh, let's hear clip two. One more wrinkle for you, Jeff. Yeah. I can't remember if I told you this or if I only told Washington this, that when I talked to Jeff Feltman this morning, he had a new name for the U.N. guy, Robert Seri. Did I write you that this morning? Yeah, I saw that. He's now gotten both Seri and Ban Ki-moon to agree that Seri could come in Monday or Tuesday. Okay. So that would be great, I think, to help glue this thing and have the U.N. help glue it and, you know, the EU. So if you'd ever heard of these clips, you probably heard that part because she used vulgarity and that's how the mainstream media kind of whitewashed this. I had to breathe a sigh of relief, Binkley, because I, I'm looking at the transcript and I'm like, oh, no, no, yeah. no, no. <laughs> Don't play that. Thank you for bleeping it. So um, so she so what she she is not only deciding who's going to be running Ukraine, she's telling the UN what to do. I mean, right. Feltman is a UN guy. Sari was, I think, an ambassador in Jerusalem. He got kicked out of Jerusalem at some point. I think but... he was an ambassador to Ukraine at the time. No, the ambassador to Ukraine was Jeffrey Pyatt. Oh, right, yeah. Jeff Feltman was, uh, and still is, if I'm not mistaken, this Undersecretary General for Political Affairs in the UN. So yeah. at the time he worked for Ban Ki-moon. Now he works for the other guy. Uh, and then Robert Seri is just a deep state actor. Um, I'm sure he's quite interesting because there's almost nothing about him right. on the internet. So those guys are coming over there to help glue this thing. So that just shows, like, for anybody who looks up to the UN as like, oh, thank goodness. Uh, I don't think so. That so, language glue this thing together. It's so. I mean, it sh- it reveals their intentions, in my opinion. Now, now the next clip. The next clip, actually, um, the next clip is the big, big one. Let's do that. The next clip is where they actually, they, it's very clear that anything Russia does is a foreseeable, provoked reaction and nothing more. Clip three. No, exactly. And I think we've got to do something to make it stick together because you can be pretty sure that if it does if it does start to gain altitude, the Russians will be working behind the scenes to try to torpedo it. As they should. They have an arm's length transaction with this guy. They're just selling gas because they have government owned gas. I'm not if or whatever government controlled. I don't know. I'm not in favor of governments making economic decisions like this, (laughs) but, you know. How dare they try to torpedo our attempt to manipulate the countries that they're involved in? To overthrow a democratically elected government that made an economically sound decision (laughs) on behalf of the people. I mean, you know, and she's standing there with Exxon and Chevron behind her saying, we've spent $5 billion trying to get to this guy. You know, like, or I think we got him. You know, it's like, no. (laughs) And he's, they're they're totally corrupt. I mean, even Putin says, like, I don't even want this guy in Russia, but I can't send him to the wolves. So uh, do we have time? Yeah, let's do it. The the last one just shows how. I love this one. Oh, oh, you love this one? This is, this is, it really shows that Newland, who is, you have to think of Robert Kagan and his family and they're, they, they are very powerful, very influential, if not directly powerful. But I would say the way she's talking, 
This is real power. Who Who's calling the shots at uh, this one? This is uh, clip four. We want to try to get somebody with an international personality to um, come out here and help to midwife this thing. And then the other, the other issue is some kind of outreach to Yanukovych, but we probably regroup on that tomorrow as we see how things start to fall into place. So on that piece, Jeff, uh, when I wrote the note, uh, Sullivan's come back to me, uh, VFR, saying you need Biden, and I said probably tomorrow for an attaboy and to get the deeds to stick. So okay. Biden's willing. Yay! That <laughs> Biden's willing to help midwife this thing. Oh, and didn't Joe Biden's son go and run the oil company? I don't know. Over there? Probably. Oh, yes. I think right now they are personally profiting from this. Uh yeah, so she's telling Joe Biden, hey, hey, come over here. You know, this is what I want you to do, buddy. Yeah, that, that term, midwife, they want to birth a new government in their likeness Ooh. over there, you know? Which is just, but it's not, you know, the, this Olbermann was like, we are the ones yeah. who are the oppressed. You know, Russia is the evil Britain. Who looks like the colonial power here? Who looks like that? And uh, But it gets actually quite, quite tragic and immoral uh, and deadly. After this, so stay tuned. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. You can tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. Monica Perez on News 95.5 and AM 750, WSB. High today of 88, tomorrow's high 89. Weekend weather is brought to you by Shoemate Heating and Air, and I have a prize pack for you. A pair of tickets to see We've Only Just Begun. Carpenters Remembered on July 15th at Chastain Park Amphitheater. The first to call is 404-741-0750. We'll get that awesome uh, prize pack. That's going to be good. So, uh, Binkley, you just heard uh, these clips that I've referred to before. Here's what we've been talking about. I know you're really deep into this um kind of like a covert operator in the indivisible world, right? You keep <laughs> yeah. abreast of the I've infiltrated. Pink, pink hat. You've demonstrated? I've infiltrated. Oh, <laughs> I was like, dude, you're really going into the belly of the beast. Pink hat. <laughs> They're going to have pictures of you, facial recognition. <laughs> Uh-oh. So, uh, and we played a clip that you found from Keith Olbermann earlier about how they rile people up to... I've noticed this actually started with George W. Bush and the hanging Chad, which I know <laughs> does sound like a <laughs> like a porn star or whatever. Um, that's Flor- in Florida, like delegitimized the Bush presidency, and then the birther issue about Obama delegitimized the Obama. Now we have foreign interference in the election as attempt to delegitimize Trump. I actually think that if Cruz that that. An essential element of Cruz, if Cruz was simply a deep state operative, a a theatrical production as well, would have been the legitimacy of his Canadian birth. But I I feel like uh, this the only thing that Trump's illegitimacy could possibly rest on, or at least according to the official narrative, is this idea that Russia interfered with the election. And I think the reason people find that to be plausible is Russia's recent history, which has been presented to us as infiltrating Ukraine. So it's so the two big things in my mind are that he annexed Crimea and that he, um, I guess, is adopted. Oh, that's what it said in the journal today, adopted Assad in Syria. But Syria asked him to come in. 
Right. So, okay, so you asked him to come in. And then with Crimea, as I mentioned earlier, if you talk about a government being uh, the consent of the governed or like in the Declaration of Independence, when in the course of human affairs, do I know not do I not know my uh, the course of human events? If that's because I had the Declaration of Independence right next to me on my desk. You always do. <laughs> I always do. It's got tabs on it, my constitution. <laughs> so you tell me you have to have tabs on it. You can't just have one. If you don't have tabs, if it's not crumpled up and wrinkled and has like a lot of, you know, spelling correction. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't don't have a deeply loved copy of this and I this is like uh, my absolute bare minimum. I, I'm actually – I think that this is a very severe compromise. The Constitution was highly limiting to our liberties. But if you believe the Declaration of Independence, what Crimea did, they 85% of the people voted and 95% of them voted for joining Russia because Ukraine had been destabilized by the West. So right. their own government, which they elected, had been overthrown. So those are the two things they used to demonize Russia. Uh, I mean, do you think there's anything more to it? Like, why do you think people buy into this Russian idea? Uh, they buy the simple solution that satisfies what they want to believe at this point. I mean, I've heard people who I've asked, who, who I've said, I don't buy the whole Russian collusion thing. And their response is something like, oh, so you're on Putin's side? Putin invaded an innocent, small, sovereign nation. I'm just like, they just repeat the talking point. Right. And the the one thing that is always true about this stuff, and I think Dean tweeted something earlier that kind of points to this, is it's not like we have these objective standards. That's what American exceptionalism yeah. actually means. That everybody, we hold everybody else to standards that we don't, that we're an exception to. We're an exception to the law of nations, which was the foundation, by the way, of that statement about what in the course of human events. That comes almost verbatim, except for it was in French, from Vattel's Law of Nations, which was the book that the founders said they used most in uh, crafting our foundational documents. And that, that guy would have accepted the Crimea situation. Uh, I actually wrote a blog post about it, which I just posted on PropagandaReportDaily.com, that just lays it out, that parallel between what we did and what we have. So actually Crimea has a more legitimate consensual government because the government we consented to, uh, to the extent there is any consent in um, our foundation, I think the Revolution, the Articles of Confederation, I buy that. The Constitution... I think was uh some might say it was a coup. <laughs> because, <laughs> yeah, because it was not ratified correctly. The Articles of Confederation shouldn't have been thrown out. But in any case, um, we can, if we consented to that government, that's not the government we have anymore. Our government totally violates our foundational documents every single day. And there's nobody defending the Bill of Rights or any of that. So we do not consent to this government, in my mind, the one that currently exists, because it is in violation of its own charter. However, Crimea did just recently, almost unanimously to a person, accept, ask for the protection of Russia. Now, you could say Putin really manipulated all that, but you can't. But but let me tell you how it really, the rubber hit the road after the break. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. You can tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. You got me excited because this would truly be both an adventure and a learning experience. 
Monica Perez on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. I am your libertarian voice on WSB. Saturday is from 3 to 6, and I'm trying to give a little history on the why everybody thinks Russia is the new Russia. You know, like <laughs> the Soviet Union was dead and buried, and now it's like they cast about for another enemy um, and nothing really fit the bill like Russia did. But I think it's an enemy that we have created, and both sides, you never hear in the mainstream media or from the politicians the real backstory. So I people ask me all the time, do you think, or recently they've been asking me this quite a lot, do you think the mainstream media is really fake news? And I have to say, 75% of it isn't. There's it's tons and tons of facts. The spin is the spin, and the spin is always not what I agree with because I'm a hardcore libertarian, But and they always talk about government solutions, the left and the right, which I don't buy into. I always say, look at the problem the government policy that caused the problem and eliminate that. And then you'll, you don't have to have a policy position going forward. But, uh, but they, but they never tell you the real. So, so 75% of the media is, I, I think has actual information, but the 25% that's, that's lies are really egregious lies. And they're almost always about foreign policy because we can't double check it. As Irving Crystal said uh, in his book, The Autobiography of an Idea, Neoconservatism, he said the American people have no idea about foreign policy. They need to be uh, guided by the elite. That's your job. This is almost a direct quote. Uh, so, and I actually have that in a review I wrote on uh, com. It's Irving Crystal. It's got a lot of smoking guns there. But that's the thing that really keeps the military-industrial complex going, that which Eisenhower warned us about, about all our money, all our effort, about killing and stealing in the name of this, uh, you know, for the purposes of the military-industrial complex, which I define primarily as... Uh, the financial, energy, and defense industries, but then there's another tier, which is big tech, big farm, big pharma, all that stuff. But the the ones that the foreign policy are designed to foster are these three, and that's when you get these false memes, even in the mainstream media. They will blatantly lie. In the Wall Street Journal today, they said uh, one of the – on the editorial page, it said that – was it invade Crimea? Uh, he seized Crimea. That Putin seized Crimea. That's on the editorial page of the Wall Street Journal. Putin seized Crimea, which was the most scrutinized, uh, almost unanimous election I have ever heard about. <laughs> and, and it was in modern times. There was no evidence that it was anything but legitimate. But they, So those are the lies that you're getting. In the mainstream media, the ones that you cannot check, which is why I think our founders said, yes, stop foreign policy on the water's edge. God gave us these huge oceans. We can use them to live a moral existence where you don't have to kill and steal from the rest of the world. But we do it anyway. And uh, and you're not hearing the true story. So what I just played in the last half hour, which you, you can go get the podcast if you need it from PropagandaReportDaily.com, is 
clips of Victoria Nuland, the Assistant Secretary of State, plotting with Jeffrey Pyatt, the ambassador to Ukraine, the overthrow of the democratically elected government of Ukraine. That was in January 2014. She was actually talking about the government they were going to install once they got rid of the other guy. Right after that, right as that was January 28th. Uh, well, let's see if anybody wants to do a little back and forth. I'm happy to do it. 404-872-0750. 1-800-WSB-TALK. You can tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. Binkley, I know we got a kind of funny uh, little message from JB that uh, we should share. Yeah. JB, she sent us uh, she sends us Gab sometimes. I think it's Gab.ai. Yeah. And she said, today's show is an eat your vegetables and you'll be strong kind of show, which is why I like it. But, man... <laughs> I'm sorry. I know to have a history lesson is a little a little much for a Saturday afternoon running to Publix, like getting another what I miss. You know, get out of the car. It's like, yeah. wait, 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 wait. We we overthrew the government of Ukraine. <laughs> I, I must have missed something. They're turning their worlds upside down. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, this is I, I've gotten emails before that said I've only gone through the podcast once, but so far <laughs> that is not what like terrestrial radio is supposed to be about so my apologies if i if it's too dense um you might have to go back and listen to the podcast but but uh this was so i'm here's the big payoff and it and it's you thought that was intense listen to this (laughs) so so that was these guys plotting the new government of ukraine but how did they affect that how did they get a new guy how did they get the old guy to run away yanukovych what happened was there was an uprising in the Maidan, the square, I don't know, in, uh, I believe the uprising, was it on February 14th, uh, maybe February 28th, I forget, that is one little detail I forget, but in February, the, uh, it must have been mid, mid-February, basically the, that, the, the democratically elected president like, ran away and he was charged with murder if they got him back they would have uh you know probably executed him i don't know what their laws are like but but what happened was there was an uprising in the square and he's being accused of murder because supposedly the police the government on his orders which he definitely did not order this i think that is absolutely in the record he did not order them to shoot on the people he ordered them not to but he was charged and and fled because they said the government, you know, agents, the police, whatever, shot to death the protesters in the square. And then, um, I guess, in retaliation, the official story goes, the protesters fought back and some of the police also died. And what happens is... If you once you get that kind of escalation, you you have a real riot on your hands. So if people start dying on both sides, you're going to have a free for all, and that's basically what happened. A lot of people died. There's a lot of looting and shooting and burning, and it was a really terrible time. A lot of people died. So uh, so that's what he was on the run for, and basically, very shortly thereafter, Yats <laughs> was put in place. But listen to. This really two very telling clips from a conversation between Catherine Ashton, who was the EU foreign affairs spokeswoman. So she's another like super polished diplomat. She was speaking to the Estonian foreign minister. Estonia is one of those is like another satellite country, former Soviet satellite country nearby. 
And uh, this highly diplomatic EU chick is saying to the Estonian guy uh, that she told the remaining governments in Ukraine, you know, kind of how to handle this. And she's coaching them through this difficult time. So that's going to be the first clip. But stay tuned because the second clip will knock your socks out. Let, knock your socks off. Let's hear clip six first. I said to the part of the regions people, you have to go and lay flowers where the people died. You have to show mm-hmm. that you understand what you have, what has happened here. Absolutely. Because what you're experiencing is anger of people who've seen the mm. way that Yanukovych lived and the corruption, and they assume you're all the same. Mm. And those are the people who've lost people and who feel that, you know, he ordered that to happen. There's quite a mm. lot of shock, I think, in the city, a lot of sadness and shock, and that's going to come out in some very strange ways if they're not careful. So she's telling him how she's trying to manipulate behind the scenes how to get people on board with the remaining government, who I think she obviously feels like is under control. But she said there are people who have lost people, so some of those who have died, and they think that Yanukovych ordered that to happen. So here's the Estonian foreign minister Giving her, uh, I think, uh, a little shock to the system about what really happened. So let's. This is he's. This is the same phone call. Clip seven. Oh, no, clip seven. Sorry. Uh, oh, but it was the absolute. It was the absolute killer. Let's see if we can scramble and get clip seven. But um, it's better to hear it in person. But let me read it to you. It's. Uh, it's Ashton clip number two, maybe, DeMarco. Do you have something that says Ashton number two? That's fine. It's okay. So, all right. Uh, this is the Estonian foreign minister. He says to Catherine Ashton, he said, what was quite disturbing is that Olga, who is like, uh, she was a doctor on the front lines, I believe, was Olga. He says what was quite disturbing is that Olga, well, the evidence shows that people who were killed by snipers from both sides, among policemen, then people from the streets. So he's talking about how uh, both the protesters and the police were killed in the Maidan. They were killed by the same snipers, killing people from both sides. That's what the guy says to her. They discovered that it was the same snipers. And she says, oh, well, uh, yeah, that's um, okay. Uh, Then the Estonian guy goes on to say, she showed me some photos. She said, as a medical doctor, she can say it's the same handwriting, so to speak, the same type of bullets. It's really disturbing uh, that now the new coalition, they don't want to investigate exactly what happened. Uh, so there's now this stronger and stronger understanding that behind the snipers... We've got the clip now, Monica. Okay. That they were... Uh, that it wasn't Yanukovych, but it was somebody else. Let's let's listen to the clip. It's better in person. What was quite disturbing, the same Olga told that, well, all the evidence shows... Uh, the people who were killed by snipers from both sides, among policemen and, and people from the streets, that they were the same snipers killing people from both sides. Well, that's, yeah. That's... So that, and then she also showed me some photos. Uh, she said that as medical doctor, she can, you know, say that it is the same, same handwriting, the same type of bullets, 
and it's really disturbing that now the new uh, new coalition that they don't want to investigate what exactly happened so that there is now stronger and stronger understanding that behind snipers they were it was not Yanukovych but it was somebody from the new coalition I think they do want to investigate I mean I didn't, I didn't pick that up that's interesting gosh yeah so that it was in this sense disturbing that if it starts now to live its own life very powerfully that it yeah. already discreditates from very beginning also this new coalition she says, "Gosh, <laughs> gosh, that that sure is that that is kind of funny." Yeah, no, they should they should look into that. Sure, yeah, like oh, so you're saying somebody, you know, somebody shot people on both sides to start the civil war? Wow, that's Gee, just well, yeah, crazy. Yeah, like you know, just go ahead. You know, you you guys can look into that if you want to. But in the meanwhile, you know. So this is what discredits the government in Ukraine. That's why there's still a civil war there, because they know it was a coup. That's what's going on. So let's wrap it up after the break. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Back, and uh, we've got... Partly cloudy with a chance of isolated storms and forecast high of 90 for Monday as the work week begins. But that could change. So stay tuned to WSB for weekend weather brought to you by Shoemate Heating and Air. So uh, we have um, we have been talking about a a lot of stuff as JB <laughs> gabbed earlier that this show is like eating your vegetables and she likes vegetables, <laughs> but we've been, it's been a little history lesson. And, uh, I think Binkley, you have got, you're, you're kind of my litmus test because I went through this when this first started happening. Now you got to remember, we just played, I just, we just played a lot of clips from 2014 that betrayed, uh, that the United States was behind the overthrow of the Ukrainian government and that it was effected through violent means. And uh, and that's very serious stuff. And so where did we get those clips? Somebody leaked those calls. Yeah. I mean... Oh, a leaker. A leaker. Who might have done that? You know, it could have been Russians, but... I'm- I'm assuming it's Russia. I don't know who else would have had it. I remember at one point Newland is trying to uh, respond to it. They nobody denied it. She said, "I'm not going to talk about private conversations." But man, who has who has tapping equipment that good, huh? Well, maybe Russia did meddle in our election. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Not our elections, but they're certainly uh, counter meddling. I think right. the question is, are who's meddling? Who's doing the meddling, and who's doing the counter meddling? Right. <laughs> I, well, I love this idea that just because uh, information came from a certain source that is true, that it doesn't matter because it came from a source people don't like. Oh yeah, no, that's absolutely out the window. Unless it's absolutely, uh, like if I were ever on trial for something and they read emails that. They had no right to, like a warrantless search or whatever, and they got around the law. I might, as a matter of principle, say I'm not responding to that because you have no right to have that information, or who's even to say it's real or whatever. You know, I might like stand on principle like that, 
with this, you know, it, it actually calls into my mind like a deeper problem I have with the is Putin a hero or a villain? Like, I don't think right. he's either, or maybe he's both. I mean, I really don't know. But like the Snowden thing, it is very clear to me and always has been at least a week into it that he was there to get us used to constant surveillance. And guess what? We are. Yeah. <laughs> we accept it. We actually do exactly what I think they really wanted, which it, which is to chill ourselves, to actually not send those emails so that they can't be used against us, which meanwhile they can just make them up. So I don't even – I stop caring because yeah. they're going to they're gonna say whatever they want me to have said, whether I said it or not. So, uh, so here's the Snowden silliness, and Glenn Greenwald is his mouthpiece, and The Intercept is their platform, and Pierre Omidyar, the eBay founder, uh, bankrolls them, but he also bankrolled – the uh this influence project in Ukraine in hand in hand with USI aid which is US aid which is a CIA front organization and Victoria Newland and Chevron and Exxon and all this stuff he's totally in bed with them and and yet Putin validates the the Snowden story by actually talking to him on talk shows and stuff. He's like Max Headroom. They have like, they wheel out a monitor. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) This giant Snowden head where he always looks the same. Like, I wonder if he's got that haircut, the dumb glasses and like the, you know, four o'clock shadow because he's really just walking around London like Julian Assange in, you know, some other get up you know like they always just have that one persona you don't get any other angle from them so that you i feel like you can uh whatever get too deep. that's a spy craft thing anyway so so but putin validates that he validates some isis memes that i don't you know he never outs isis as a western invention which even mike flynn uh the notorious mike flynn when he was uh, head of the defense intelligence agency acknowledged that it was certainly what we wanted if not what we actually arranged right even trump during his campaign oh yeah well but didn't he say like obama created it obama like, and hillary yeah, yeah i mean i think they actually created it right <laughs> so so but why does putin play into that stuff maybe because it's a limited hangout that can hurt us but but more likely, I've concluded, is that those same levers work for him. Propaganda works for him. Yeah. Um, this fear of terrorism works for him. He wants – maybe he wants to engage in these conflicts as much as anybody else. But by us being the bad guy, it gives him cover to a more cynical population. Our population isn't as jaded by propaganda. It's easier to propagandize us. For them, they need actual – they need to prove that we are wrong and say that we have no choice. Look, because I'm portraying Putin as the victim here, you know, and maybe that's exactly what he wants because he really just wants to take over the world. <laughs> exactly. He might he, he might really be playing like 19D chess or whatever. Yes, they yes. Not 3D or 4D chess at 19D, like the onion, the layers of the onion. I don't know what layer of the onion I'm dancing around on. <laughs> But uh, but Putin's definitely I'm definitely not on the same layer that that guy is on. But I don't think so. I would just use this as a cautionary tale, not that one is a hero, one is a villain, that they're probably all self-serving actors who cooperate with a deeper state that may may reach to the very pinnacle of uh, of 
of the human organization at this point. So if you want to get deeper, if it's possible <laughs> to get deeper, listen to our podcast. Communicate with us on Twitter at Monica Perez Show. We put all our stuff up on PropagandaReportDaily.com, and we will be back next Saturday from 3 to 6. This is Monica Perez.